folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. All right, welcome into another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here with Star Tribune columnist Chip Scoggins. And the other day I sent Chip a text and I said, Chip, I, I want to do an episode where we talk about the five most interesting players that you've covered during your time as a columnist here in the Twin Cities with the Vikings. And the answer came back, Favre, 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 <laughs> and Favre. So we're doing this episode on Favre, Chip. I love it. Yeah, I mean, not only the most interesting Vikings player I've covered, but most interesting athlete I've ever covered um, of any sport. Just a character, um, obviously a great player to, to back that up, but just uh, he was – I just found him fascinating. Um, only got to cover him for two years, obviously, here. Um, but it was – they packed a lot into two years. <laughs> and, yeah, he's uh, – you know, that, that – that, organizations had a lot of characters over the year and he's he's uh you know he's definitely one of them let's start with Favre when he's in green bay mm -hmm. uh, when he's in green bay he is a mammoth of a superstar i mean i grew up in western new york and my one of my best friends growing up uh, the guy that would end up being my college roommate was the biggest brett Favre fan he loved the packers alone because of brett Favre. they had a national brand at that time with Favre. Uh, mm -hmm. that was right up there with the Dallas Cowboys or maybe even surpassing the Dallas Cowboys because of him and how popular he was that anywhere you went in the country, you were going to find probably some old 49ers fans. You were going to find some Steelers fans, some Cowboys and some Packers because of him. And when you look back at the stats, sometimes they tell the story, but with Favre, they don't even tell the story of his greatness. Three-time MVP, uh, and the most entertaining player to watch. You also had the John Madden element. The John Madden was yeah. Brett Favre, and they were on national TV all the time. And mm -hmm. it's hard to explain because now everyone is a superstar with all the uh, access that we have. It's hard to explain the level of mega stardom that Brett Favre was. That he was up there with your almost on your Michael Jordan type of level for a while in the '90s. It was a confluence of perfect factors. Um, that market, his aw shucks personality that's cocky but endearing, um, the way he plays, just – I don't know if reckless is the right word, but kind of freelance, not afraid to make mistakes, not afraid to make throws, throws at 100 miles an hour, runs – he's not stoic, he's not a robot, shows emotion – um, the Southern draw, 
so I think all those things, and, and you mentioned that um, the love affair that Madden and other uh, broadcasters had with him and just kind of created this aura about him. And in that market where it's just such a small fishbowl, um, it, it created this kind of larger than life persona. And when you take that and you become an MVP and you win a Super Bowl, well, then all of a sudden it's one thing to, to play, you know, loosey goosey and, and say funny things and, and, and kind of have a laid back personality if you're on a terrible team, but they won a Super Bowl, right? And they were always good. And so that created this, um, you're right, to put him on a pedestal that few athletes ever reach. And he, unlike Michael Jordan, though, was flawed enough to also be loved for that reason, too. Sure. That he was highly, absurdly successful during his career, but he was not a first-round pick. He wasn't even playing for the first team that drafted him. And the Atlanta mm-hmm. Falcons, he got traded away because Jerry Glanville didn't like him. And he was a backup. And who knows if he's ever going to become anything. So he always had an underdog element to him. And he would get into the big games. And he would make mistakes sometimes. And he would have those tragic losses. But I think that that even made him more likable because you hope the next time it would be the time that he came through. Yeah, it kind of embellished his reputation, the, the times that it didn't work out. Um, and even that became – an endearing part of his uh, persona, right? I mean, we think about all the interceptions he's thrown and he, you know, afterwards he'd be like, oh, shucks, I thought I had, I could squeeze it in there, you know, and I'll do it again. And, and he will. And then the thing is, he would come back and he'd make a throw that how many NFL quarterbacks can make? Very few, right? How many NFL quarterbacks have both his arms, his instincts, his smarts, and the guts to, to make this pass, you know? And, and, my old partner, your old partner, Judd, always said, he'll break your heart because of that. And we saw that in 2009, but he didn't change. I mean, that's, that's you know, you had to take the good and the bad with him. And you, you mentioned the, the character things. People knew about the drinking and, and, uh, and all that. And that didn't – it was part of his story, but it never really um, – I think people looked at that as uh, not part of his charm, but just, you know, another thing that he overcame. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, certain athletes like, you know, like him, uh, just kind of, I don't know that people, well, people in Minnesota hated him. Right. But nationally, do you think people ever got sick of him? If you're, if you're in California or if you're in New York, you probably loved him, right? If you're in Minnesota, 99.9% of the people hated him because he was so good and always stuck the dagger in the, in the Vikings. But, um, but I, I think universally around the country, there's just perception that, that, you know, you liked him. That's what I was going to ask you next was just the feeling from Vikings fans before Favre is their quarterback. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how to put this. I, I wonder if, like when you were a, if you were a Red Sox Envy. fan, yeah, I was going to say if you were a Red Sox fan, you truly hated the Yankees. But when there's someone who's on a completely different level than you, say you're a Dolphins fan and you're looking at Tom Brady, do you hate Tom Brady or do you just go like, man, this guy whips us every time and, and I wish he was on our team? Was it that feeling rather than because he's just such a hard guy to really hate? You would prefer I, that he just played for you instead. I think it was envy disguised as hate. Right. Oh, I can't stand Brett Favre because he plays for the Packers. But I think it was more as like, and, and you saw it. 
that thing like was a light switch. As when he when people when Vikings fans knew he was coming here, there was no hate. It was all he's ours now, right? And so I think it was envy, and and you saw particularly because look at the the quarterback carousel they had for years, decades, man, and they just could not find that guy that was their franchise quarterback. And your bitter rival has Brett Favre, and he's there for almost twenty years, and he wins the Super Bowl, and he's MVP, and so um, and he has fun playing the game, and he's charismatic and popular and so I, I think people say when he played for the, the the Packers they can't stand him and they hated him but I, I bet if it was true serum you'd probably say they're just envy envious of what you know the Packers had and we know how it turned out with him having an incredible season in 2009 but what was the feeling when they signed him I'm sure that Vikings fans were saying yes we got him now just like Patriots fans would be saying about Cam Newton but there's yeah he looked truly well, washed up by the end of the Jets era. Yeah, and he had an arm injury. And that was the whole thing. Um, there was the euphoria, obviously. We saw it with, with the day he arrived and the, the stampede when Childress brought him into the facility and the helicopter. So there's, um, there's obviously euphoria, but I think there was also curiosity. Is like, eh, how much does he have left? You know, he's almost 40. He really, you know, he – he looked washed up for the Jets. We know he has an arm injury. Um, how much does he have left in that arm? And so I think there's uh, probably some – everybody thought he would be the, you know, the missing link because that team was stacked. Um, but you didn't know, like, really what he was going to give you. In those first two games in 2009, the whole narrative was, okay, they got a game manager. Barr's going to be a game manager. You got Adrian. You got all these weapons. He doesn't have to, you know – be the gunslinger. He doesn't have to be the hero. He can just manage the game. And then game three, he puts on his cape and, and throws just that laser, one of the best throws I've ever seen a quarterback make uh, to Greg, G- uh, Greg Lewis uh, against the, the Niners to win it in a walk-off there. And, and then you're like, all right, game on. It's <laughs> okay. This is the far view. And, and I, I, I got to be honest, I was stunned by how, how much physically he had left that year. And just – the throws he can make. It is funny that so Judd covered him because uh, back before he became the Vikings uh, beat writer, he cover, actually covered the Packers. And so when Farr's first uh, his first week, we were doing a, a sideline thing there, and Judd said, "Look how big his hands are when, you, when you're doing it. Look at look at his hands." And so you know we're standing in like a little group huddle there, and and it was astonishing how big and strong his hands were. Like it was like abnormal. <laughs> they were that big. It's like it just jumps out. It's like he could, you know, like a, a Nerf ball, the things he could do, you know, and, and could in throwing the ball and, and controlling it. And so, um, but once he got through that, I think that San Francisco game, game three, you knew that physically he was going to be able to do whatever he wanted. And Sage Rosenfels on the podcast a couple of days ago uh, said that that was the best throw he's ever seen in his entire life, Sage. Uh, to talk yeah, it was, that. I mean, it felt like it, it could fit it through that tight a window. and. Yeah. It was on the run, under duress. You know, they had to have it. And to put it in that spot, you know, with Greg Lewis, you know, running across the back of the end zone, it was just – you sit there like your mouth was a jar. And, I mean, that metrodome just went bonkers. And it, it literally, Matthew, that that moment you felt like, okay, this is going to be special. This, this, this is going to be special. How he could still throw at that velocity at that age is – Well, watch his motion. It's just like all that – I mean, he put everything into it. His whole body would just, you know, it's like, wow. You know, I mean, he, and he, I think he's 
you would see him, he's just naturally strong in those hands, and, but his motion and his delivery, it just looked like he was throwing everything he had into each throw. As that season went along in 2009, did you feel like not only – okay, so you start to know that the team is good and you feel like they could be a legitimate contender with Favre, but did you what, – what was your feeling on him personally about the way that he took on every single step? Because there was yeah. playing against the Packers, and I watched that game back with the rest of America when they played it on ESPN not that long ago, sure. and he's trying so hard to be sly in, in the uh, post-game interview and not say a whole lot, but it just seemed like it was the same – Brett Favre that was there in Green Bay for so long, but yet everything was amplified because he was doing it in Minnesota. Yeah, and I think about that team. There, I mean, that was a locker room full of alphas. Now, you had Steve Hutchinson, Jared Allen, Kevin and Pat Williams, Adrian, Percy. I mean, big personalities, star players. I mean, some of the best uh, players at their position in the NFL – but there was no denying who the biggest presence in that locker room was. I mean, he walked in there and he was the guy. I mean, everybody looked at him. He just – he had that immediate um, kind of presence where everybody looked to him and like, all right, this is our guy. We're going to follow him. And he just fit right in. I mean, there was no – it was amazing the way – the chemistry in that locker room and the way guys looked at him and embraced him and rallied around him. And – I remember kind of inside ball, but on Fridays, as you know, um, that's kind of the hay is in the barn day. Um, they have a quick walkthrough and then players scatter. They eat, they lunch in the locker room and then, then players scatter to go hunting or whatever to get out of the locker room quick. Favre would always stick around. He would always be the last guy in there cutting jokes, telling stories, kind of hobnobbing with players and, and you know, PR guys. And he just loved being in a locker room and love being around guys. And so um, just his personality and being around him, it never felt like an outsider at all. It felt like he'd been part of the team forever in just the way he, uh, he interacted with guys. And so um, I was curious to see like, like those big moments, you know, when they played Green Bay for the first time and he tried to pass it off all week. Ah, it's just another game. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, going back to Green Bay that first time, you know, you, he never is going to show you outward nerves or anything. I'm sure his, you know, his heart was racing a mile a minute. But I think that game, he even said it. I remember being in the press box. And it, we're in glass, so you can't hear the full nose. But you could, you know, you, you can get a sense of it. But when the Vikings ran out of the tunnel onto the field for the game, it was loud booze. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't so bad. You know, I thought it'd be. And then it was like a, you know, a, B-52 taken off, the noise just how loud it was. Far was that at the, you know, near the end of the, the team. And so it even amplified. And I've never heard a person get booed like that, ever, <laughs> that loud. And he even, it, and he made a comment about it after game where I think it surprised him a little bit. I think he thought it'd be a mixture, and it was not a mixture. <laughs> there might have been some cheers, but you couldn't hear him. I mean, it was, it was deafening how loud the boos were. And so I think that, I don't know if it rattled him, but it surprised him maybe bothered him a little bit privately, but even that, I mean, you shook that off and kind of made a joke of it and kept on going. 
with, with Favre and his notable failures, it goes a little bit forgotten sometimes of how many successes there were in the big clutch games that oh, sure. there were so many times where he was great. And I always like to make this point about his late mistakes is that you have to be there and you have to be in that spot yep. to make that mistake that if you're, I mean, just say like LeBron James has lost some championships, but he's in the championship. Yeah. So you have to yeah. be great to even be on those stages. And more often than not, I remember always having the feeling that he could do anything, that when mm -hmm. he was going up against those Packers teams, that there was almost no question that he was going to beat the Packers because when the, the lights were the brightest, that's when Favre was usually great. Yeah, and and – you know, you see it with with Rodgers now too, like the chip on the shoulder. When there's extra motivation there, Favre would, would rise to that challenge like, oh, he has nothing left in the tank. He's going to be a game manager. Okay, here's a throw to Greg Lewis. It's going to remind you <laughs> that I'm not a game manager. Um, you know, the, the Packers are coming in. You're, you're not going to be able to play well. You're nervous. Uh, they, got, they know who you are. They know how to game plan for you. Well, he put up big numbers against them, you know. And um, – but – we also saw the, you know, the other side. And as Judd says, the one that will break your heart. And, you know, I think there's some people who say, gosh, just play it safe for once, you know. Don't try that throw. But that's, that's who Brett Favre is. Yes, exactly. And he always had a sense, it seemed, like Michael Jordan, if anybody watched the 10-part documentary, uh, a sense for what it all meant even when he was in the moment. There are some athletes yeah. that just sort of do what they do and they don't pay attention. Uh, now it's probably harder, but don't pay attention to what's being said. Don't be to pay attention to what it means to their legacy and things like that. Favre always seemed to know exactly yeah. what it meant. 100%. And it, you know, he has that aw shucks and personality and laid back and country draw. Don't mistake that for being, uh, you know, clueless or not aware. He was one of the most calculated. In his interviews, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what message he wants out there. Now, he could take you on a journey to get there, you know. I mean, his, his press conference, like, uh, quarterbacks in the NFL speak on Wednesday, typically Vikings, and, and, and for people watching, and they have their, you know, their Wednesday press conference, and it's, what would you say, Matthew? 10, 15 questions generally for cousins or yeah. Favre would be four before. <laughs> and he would talk for a half hour and it, you would ask him a question about something. He would give you a scouting report, a history lesson, an injury update. Um, you know, something about uh, his, his own resume. It was, I mean, he was fascinating his answers and what he would give you was just gold. You know, we would come out of there with like 19 story ideas. One question that he answered, but he was, so he was very, he would meander, but I, I, I'm convinced he was calculated and he would plant seeds and he would do it to motivate guys. He would, um, he had everything. Um, he had an understanding. You're, I think you said it right. He had an understanding about the moment and how, they, how he's perceived and how his legacy is being perceived and his career. I mean, he, he, he knew, I mean, you saw it like at the end of his time with, with Green Bay, you know, he was very aware of how he was being perceived and, and I, you know, clearly stung him. 
Uh, if uh, anybody has seen the John Gruden sit down with Favre for an hour, it's really fascinating to see how the wheels tick with him and those guys going back and forth and being very football-y, but also the way that he thought of himself, the way he thinks of his legacy, and Gruden asked him about being one of the greatest of all time, and he talked about always sort of chasing Roger Staubach in his mind. Mm-hmm. So even he's even someone that has a sense for – the history too, and uh, like where he even fits in that, which I'm not sure everyone would expect because like you said, the way that he comes across is, well, yeah, you know, I'm just being Brett Favre out there. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's really not, there's a lot more going on with him. There's a lot of pride in there, right? A lot of pride in, in the way he played, a lot of pride in winning um, the records, the Ironman streak, uh, he wouldn't brag about it in a way that was off-putting, but you could, he would make references to things that you knew it was at the forefront of his, his mind, and he had a lot of, uh, took a lot of pride in it. So, uh, 09, it, they go and they play Dallas and shred Dallas. It's just too mm-hmm. easy. Goodbye, Dallas. Good night. Yeah. And go down to New Orleans. This, this has the feeling even going in, and I'm talking about I, I must have been – I don't know, early in my career doing this. But I even remember this feeling like this is it for Mm Farm. This is his last shot at doing this. This team is great. They can do this. They they have the talent across the board to do this. And even though they're going on the road against a very, very good New Orleans team, they're the better team. And the Vikings should end up in the Super Bowl. And – his interception is remembered at the end and it's so quintessential Favre and Sage tells a great story about sitting next to him after the interception and Favre saying Mm -hmm. I choked and I blew it. Uh, But that game also the way that it played out, it becomes one of those. If you're telling the history of the NFL, you're mentioning this game along the way to get to where we are now because Bounty gate happens and Favre's interception and and overtime ends up being Mm -hmm. changed because of it. Not to mention that the Vikings had many other opportunities in this game that they let slip by to win it for Favre. And that's another point about Favre's legacy is that there are often other opportunities in these games for something to happen in classic football fashion, but he ends up trying too hard at the end. Yeah. I mean, if, if they don't have 12 guys in the huddle, he's not throwing that interception. Right. You know, or if they don't fumble a million times in that game. Um, and I remember after the game seeing him, and I don't think I've ever seen a player after a game that beat up. I mean, his ankle looked like it was three times the size it was. And it's funny watching that game. You're like, man, they are putting licks on him. And, you know, at the time, you're not, you, you have no idea about Bounty Gate, but it's the one he got high load once. I think Sharper went up high on him one time, his former teammate. And it was clear they were, um, they were going to try to pound on him to uh, throw him off. And he was just that locker room scene where how beat up he was. I remember thinking no chance he comes back from this. You know, I just think he was spent at that time. Um, But also as you got some distance from that, Matthew, I remember thinking, how in the world could you walk away after putting up that kind of season knowing you have that left in the tank? And I even asked him that when he came back for 2010. That was the question I asked him. I was like, as you waffled, went back and forth, how much did it keep coming back to? And you played at MVP level. You had one of your best years statistically 
it's one thing if you play and you're a game manager and you're like, you know what, I don't have anything left. We saw he had something left, you know, but in hindsight, you know, if you have to be begged into, into doing something, you probably shouldn't do it. You know, yeah. this, this is not the sport yeah. that if you're, if your heart's not in it, it's not going to be good. And so, um, but yeah, that, that game, I mean, it's still one of the best sporting events I, it, for me. It's top three or four. I mean, you know, just all the crazy stuff going on in that game and the atmosphere is loud, loudest sporting event I've ever been in. Um, that, that stadium that night, I mean, it was just incredible. And I remember that last drive, they'd gotten the first down and I forgot what it was. They got over the 50 and what it, I can't remember if it was a pass or run. And I remember turn, <clears throat> turning to Judd and I was like, man, they're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and of course, you, of course you would, Chip. Of course I did. So it's all my fault. And Judd said, just wait. And sure enough, I mean, I, I, it's funny. We all, in the immediate aftermath, uh, after the game, we all focused on the interception, right? That was the biggest talker and far and it, everything happened. And I remember we didn't sleep that night. We all had our, all the writers and everything from other outlets. We, uh, we were at the airport the next morning, early in the morning, like four in the morning. We all just kind of sat there and like, we had 12 guys in a huddle. <laughs> you know, we, we may mention of it, you know, but it, that in the aftermath, that became almost the bigger story than the interceptions. Like, holy cow, they had too many guys in the huddle. It, it's like a light bulb going on. It's like, what in the world, you know? And so um, I think that it didn't, you know, overshadow the interception, but it, it definitely uh, got more eyeballs on it as the, as the weeks and days and weeks uh, went on. As a side note, New Orleans, figure it out with getting in and out of New Orleans to cover oh. football games there. Figure it out. Yeah. Brutal. Well, I, I remember after the game, it was, you know, it was a late evening game. It wasn't a night game, but, it, you know, we wrote all night and wrote all night. So we didn't sleep all, you know, we didn't go to sleep. We just went straight from our hotel, you know, did some blogs and stuff and went to the airport. But, it's yeah, it's – I agree. Not, not easy. <laughs> No, I had the same thing when I covered this most recent uh, playoff game was, all right, do I get two hours of sleep or yeah, not? Yeah, it does no good. Because, yeah, right, no. The Just only, keep cranking. Yeah. Right, the only flight out of town is happening uh, at five in the morning or something. Five in the morning, yeah. The 2010 thing, I think a lot of people would prefer to just pretend that never happened. Yeah. Uh, why why did it go so wrong? I mean, it, it wasn't just that he wasn't the same. It was that the team wasn't the same also. Well, and then he gets hurt a, a couple of times. So it wasn't just like the, a quick deterioration of the skills, but the circumstances were vastly different. Well, no, I mean, one, you know, Sidney Rice puts off hip surgery. And you, so automatically you, you lose your Pro Bowl wide receiver right off the bat. And – I don't know that Favre would have come back if he didn't know that. You know, if you're not going to have Sidney Rice for however many games, I think he when he played like three or four that year. Um, and then he had some injuries, and then the Deadspin report came out. And at the time, Deadspin, I think we knew what they were, but they weren't, you know, as established as they are now. And so we weren't really quite sure even what to make of it, you know. Um, then, obviously, the NFL launched on it. And so um, – and so that added to it, you know, how much did that impact his, um, you know, just his emotions and, and, and his attitude and, and was a distraction, you know, how, how big a distraction. So it was just, 
it literally was, I, we laugh about it. You know, you, you'll never, ever see a season like that. I mean, you could, you could write a whole book on it. A while back we did, uh, my paper did a thing where uh, readers asked, you know, something they want to read about. And someone's like, yeah, let's revisit that 2010 season. It was like, there's, so I jotted down, there's like 15 things that in themselves would be a big, you know, a pretty big story. Um, and, you know, so I, it, yes, he probably um, hit the cliff a little bit, you know, after uh, physically, after that season and after, uh, you know, the pounding he took uh, against the Saints. But I think it was just a lot of different things that were swirling that just made it just, and as one player told me, I, they couldn't wait for that season to end. And I'm sure <laughs> about that same way yeah I mean in 2016 my first season that I covered it had many a crazy thing between Bridgewater's injury and Mm -hmm. the Zimmer eyeball and so forth all the North Turner being fired or not fired as uh, Zimmer says uh, whatever he did resigned uh, yeah sure um and all that that happened in 2016 and it pales in comparison to 2010 I, I wonder what you think the postscript on Favre is because his legacy is you're one of the great quarterbacks of all time. And sure. any, anybody who's making a top five list is not leaving out Brett Favre, no. uh, especially if you grew up in an era where you got to see Brett Favre. Then you know he's one of the five to seven best quarterbacks to ever play. His post-career has been, I think, about as good as you could have hoped for for mm-hmm. Brett Favre. Okay, I have his uh, ear trimmer and uh, his. <laughs> um, but Brett Favre going on XM radio and giving hot takes about Jordan yeah. draft picks and being present and kind of around, but also not in a sad way where he's trying to force himself into all sorts of situations. It's it's been I don't know for a guy who would have taken it so hard to not be playing football anymore, almost the best you could have hoped for for what Favre has kind of become post career. Yeah, and I think and I don't know if there's any temptation to stay in the game as an announcer, as a he would never be a coach. I mean, he made that clear. He, <laughs> that was never going to happen because um, he wanted to spend all day in a facility looking at film. Um, but some kind of de facto assistant GM, you know, type thing. I think he, I don't know if there was any urge that, but I I think he has found his happy spot, really. You know, he can pop up and do when he feels like commentating on something, he can do that. If he wants to, if Aaron Rodgers, if he wants to be the conduit for uh, Aaron Rodgers to say how disappointed he was, he can do that. Who would have seen that coming, by the way? Well, no, no. Right? I mean, considering how things ended with, you know, but, but I I am glad that, you know, he's, he's made amends there or they become friends or, and um, obviously when you're in the middle of something like that, it's going to be personal and it's, but once you step away, you're like, okay, you know, we can, we can relate here. We're, we're not enemies, you know? Um, But no, I think he's, I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I think, his legacy is obviously that he's one of the top quarterbacks of all time, but also more about how he played than numbers, right? I mean, we'll remember his, you know, his Iron Master Eight. We'll remember the the touchdowns and all that, but we'll remember more the good and the bad. But how he played, 
the night his dad died, the game he put on there. I mean, you remember that. I mean, who's going to forget that night? Um, running around holding this thing at the helmet after a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Trying crazy passes, you know. Um, I think that more than numbers. A lot of guys, you'll just remember numbers or whatever. Or, you know, Tom Brady will remember championships. But I think with Favre, it's more the way he played the game. I think that's, that's probably his legacy. There's almost this sort of special place in heaven type of concept with certain football players that go into that you were different to watch. Like, mm-hmm, sure. I mean, Tom Brady is a great example of someone who's just masterful. And anyone who's ever played quarterback will tell you that they marvel at the things that Tom Brady does. But Tom Brady was not the most fun player to watch of all time. He made great throws, and he picked apart defenses, and he did nothing but win. And if you're in the Boston area, that's great for you, and so forth. But there are certain players that I I put from, at least my growing up, the Randy Moss, the Barry Sanders, and Favre is right in that, where it's not just you were great. It's that you were super fun and that you were super yeah. different too, that having the style to it. And, and the same might go for, I, I make the Jordan comparison, but I think there are a lot of comparisons here where Jordan had the style that went along with the success that amplified it and just how entertaining he was to watch. He wasn't Tim Duncan, right? Yeah, like Tim yeah Duncan exactly. Like lot, robotic. But, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, the guys that I think off the top of my head, Barry Sanders, Deion Sanders, guys that had – flair is probably not the right word, but just you couldn't take your eyes off them. Like when they're on the field, there's 22 guys out there or whatever, you're watching that guy, right? I mean, they just um, – there's just a presence about them. And, and Favre had that in person too, uh, as, I, as I was talking about earlier, just – um, I just found him fascinating because of the way he thought, you know, he could be, you know, dumb like a fox, you know, he would be self-deprecating, but also highly, highly intelligent. I mean, just, I mean, what, what is the, uh, is it the Detmer story where he didn't know what uh, cover two was or whatever? Nickel corner, I thought, or nickel, nickel corner. Defense, yeah. Nickel defense. I'm not sure I'd buy in that story. It, it made for good, uh, for good narrative and we, we all laugh at it and but I, I I found him to be incredibly intelligent about all things football and just it, he just presented it differently you know in, in a way that was kind of charming um with it with his you know laid back off shucks way I think what it is with someone like Favre and when you watch the Gruden sit down with him you really see it is when the, it comes to the football intelligence and great players in any sport is there's a creativity that is there that it's sort of like being a hotel painter or whatever you know this hotel mm, painting yeah. that all looks exactly <laughs> yeah. the same versus being one of the great artists now you and I might not yeah. be able to figure out the difference necessarily but yeah. uh, in sports, you can really see it amplified is here are oh, certain players that are, that are more creative than anybody else. And when it comes to talking about football intelligence, there's football knowledge and then there's football intelligence. Do you know the game? Sure. Can you drop all the X's and O's? Almost everyone can do that. But the intelligence is being able to take that information and change it. And him sort of self-inventing RPOs when he was playing, yep. things like that. Those you just don't find very often. Well, no, I mean, it, and that's instincts. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, 
I think his children always called her a lot of coaches called off schedule. What are you going to do when things are off schedule? Yep. And basically, that means can you freelance, <laughs> right? When when things are going to hell in a handbasket, can you make something out of nothing? And he could do that. I mean, whether he flipped the pass this way, you know, and we're seeing it more now. I mean, some of these young quarterbacks, you know, um, in the game now are, are you know exhibiting that just kind of. Um, when, when things are not perfect and you have to make a play, can you do it? And so few quarterbacks have that, that people call it the it or whatever, but that you can just, you know, make something out of nothing and take a bad situation and, and, and find a way to make a, a play. And, and Favre could, and sometimes it bit him in the butt and he made him, you know, he threw an interception, but he wasn't scared to try it. He had the courage to try it and the skill set to do it too. And uh, feeling hashtag blessed that I was able to see almost his entire career. Uh, I also feel good for kids growing up now that have Patrick Mahomes because yeah. you could say like maybe Staubach fans from back in the day said, Hey, Favre was kind of like what I loved watching yeah. from Roger Staubach. You could say Mahomes is the closest thing I've ever seen to Brett Favre, except for he doesn't throw the interceptions. doesn't make the big yeah. mistakes that Favre did. Yeah. And you know, he's, you see it in Deshaun Watson you know, I mean, but yeah, I think Mahomes, um, when you watch him, you see Favre in there too, right? You see some Favre, just, just the creativity, the, they see the game differently than everyone else. And, and it's, I mean, the, the thing that's cool is like, you don't teach that. You either got it or you don't, right? I mean, you can't, you can't teach Favre and Mahomes to do the things that they're doing or, or what Favre did. I mean, it just, you either got it or you don't. Yep, that's like uh, Moss talking about running around the field with his friends, and that's how he learned to play football. And that's, <laughs> that's right. well, you, you always had that feeling for Brett Favre. Uh, Chip, this has been super fun. I know yeah. – I love the fact that you never tire of talking about Brett Favre too, that like it's w the, one of the coolest things that you covered, and we've asked you to talk about it on the radio or podcast or whatever a million times, and it's, it just is always fun. If there will ever be an NFL player to get one of those 10-part documentaries, it's got to be Favre. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we cover so many athletes that are, you know, scared to say something or, you know, or just, you know, or robotic. Or, but he's when – you, when you get the chance to cover uh, a transcendent player like him – and it, it was only two years and we didn't get to see the – you know, the second year was not great, obviously. But to be able to see that transcendent talent day-to-day -day going to the facility and then watch him, you know, the whole season – yeah, it's a, it's a career highlight for sure for me. Yeah, I am highly jealous that uh, you, you were <laughs> covering. You'll, you'll, there'll be a player coming like that, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, well, the best that I – see, it's funny because the best player that I've covered as a Viking is a strong safety that people don't realize how good he actually is. <laughs> That's right. yeah. it's I like, know, yeah. It's like, what you, you need a quarterback. Right. No, Did you know he came out in the box, you know, yeah. uh, and then they just traded the other player that was the most fun to watch yeah. in the most interesting. Not the same when it's the quarterback that has that kind of impact, right? Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, I thought I was coming to cover the next great Vikings quarterback, but he got hurt on the same day I moved to Minnesota. So, <laughs> was it? <laughs> it was the that same is... day. It was, I, I arrived. Cow. I didn't know yep, that. I arrived in Minnesota to start covering the Vikings and was unpacking a truck into my new apartment at the time. Oh and I got a bunch of texts, like my phone just blew up from all my friends in Buffalo going, what happened to Teddy? What's going on with Teddy? Tell us oh what's going gosh. on. And it was like, uh, I'm not there yet. I just arrived here in a U-Haul. What, what is going on? Cause I was, yeah. 
unpacking. I wasn't looking at Twitter for the one time yeah. in my life. I'm not looking at Twitter. And yeah, that's my Teddy story is then I see, you know, your, your buddy, Ben Gessling and other guys oh out gosh. there tweeting, there's an ambulance and Teddy's leaving it. And like what I, you know, this happens on my first day. Yeah. Well, welcome to town. And that was your, yeah. we, we all knew it at the time. And that was, uh, that was your memo that it's never, it's never boring covering the Vikings, right? Yep. And it hasn't stopped. I mean, it's just been, <laughs> it never does since that does. moment. I thought, well, it can't get crazier than this. And it did. <laughs> it and they, went, they went five and oh and missed the playoffs in sort of typical yeah. classic fashion and all those other things that happened And it. No, it has not stopped as, Case Keenum to the NFC championship. It's just, as I always Vikings. say, just when you, just when you think you've seen it all, the roof collapses. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. At least I didn't have to cover that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Chip Coggins, uh, Scoggins, Star Tribune, college football enthusiast, uh, Dale Murphy fan, any other way that's you right. want to be uh, introduced. Always a great thing to, for us to catch up and be talking again. And we didn't even go through any of your old Vikings training camp <laughs> tweets. Let's not do that. That bit has to come back someday soon. <laughs> I know. It's embarrassing. This was really fun, Chip. Yeah, man, this is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's cool. Yep. Uh, it's good we'll, to see your face again, man. Yeah, you too, man. We'll get into John David Booty tweets some other day. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care, Chip. See you, brother.